Thank God you can be seated. So tonight, I received a report uh, from Sister Sawyer about her aunt. Is that correct? Your sister-in-law's mother in Florida. They've been working on her for quite some time uh, to give her heart to the Lord, really to serve the Lord, you know. Well, this last Sunday night, she was baptized in Jesus' name. And uh, that's like just the start of the good part. So she came up out of the water baptized in Jesus' name. And she has been blind for like seven or eight years. And has been blind long enough that her eyes were milky and, and uh, sad, sad deal. So uh, Sunday night after she was baptized, then she had a meal with Sister Sawyer's mother. Uh, they were having pizza together. And Sister Sawyer's mom looked across the table at her, called her by name, and she said, Your eyes are not foggy. They're not milky. And she said, I believe the Lord's touching your eyes. She said, I receive that in Jesus' name. The next day, she was driving down the road with her daughter, and she said, what are those people doing right there? She said, what are you talking about, Mom? She said, you see those people right there? And she began to describe everything that she was seeing. And for the last several days, her mom said, she said that her mother was, was picking white hairs that she saw off of her black sweater that she's been wearing. She's seeing everything. She asked her daughter, she said, what is that laying over there on the floor? You need to get over there and pick that up. She came up out of that water, not only baptized in Jesus' name, but God has restored her sight after seven plus years of being blind. I'm telling you, God is doing it. You come too late to tell me God's not a healer. My Lord. Woo. If you think that's something, you just hold on, baby. It's about to get better. God's fixing to start doing miracles like we've never seen. I believe this year you're going to see things you've never seen with your eyes. I believe that. Now, I'm not just trying to let the cat out of the bag, but I got to rejoicing on Sunday. Sister Linda, I got to rejoicing when I saw your post. Sunday morning you were in such pain you couldn't even be here. Sunday night you were, you were hurting in your, in your legs and your lower body. And on Sunday night you came and said it was so painful to stand, but you refused to sit down. Am I telling the truth? And right in the middle of worship service when she refused to sit down, God did a miracle and touched her body right in the middle of service. Not a single person had to lay hands. Nobody had to go pray the prayer of faith. The Bible said, while Peter yet spake the words, they which heard it received it. I'm telling you, this is a year for miracles. This is the year of the passing of the shadow. I'm believing that. My, my, my. Woo! If y'all aren't careful, I'm going to have a Sunday night runaway up in this house. Man, I feel like just, I can't get these chills off of me. I was in here today talking to the Lord, been asking God for wisdom and direction, how to lead us. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you, church. What I have truly felt is the Lord saying, you're not asking big enough. You got faith, but you're not asking big enough. That doesn't mean that you're perfected. It means that belief and unbelief may be together somewhere in that, in that operation, however that works. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But it's in times like that that God can respond because even though there may be doubts like, I don't know how you're going to do this. When you open up your mouth, and you don't just ask amiss, but you ask because even though you can't see how he's going to do it, you just know that he can. When that comes out of your mouth, it may be a question that you're asking God to do something, but it's also a statement of faith. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost up in here tonight. It is time for the apostolic church to take our place. 
and to begin to speak things that are not as though they were. I think it's time for us to start moving some of our phrasing around to move the can from the left side of God when we're saying can God and move the can to the right side of God and say I believe God can. I think it's time to start changing our language a little bit. I wouldn't be a bit surprised. I wouldn't be a bit surprised when God starts working at the last moment when you don't think there's any possible way that he can. But it's our ability to keep the profession of our faith without wavering through the trial. Imagine if the three Hebrew boys would have given up before the fire. If Daniel would have given up before the lion's den. It was the last moment that God showed up and did something that nobody else could do. And I've been seeking God about things in my life and, and the direction that we're moving and how it's going to happen. He said, son, if I would have done it through them, if I would have done it through so-and-so, if I would have done it through that man or that woman, then it would have been said that they did it. He said, but I want to do something among my people that's so big and so powerful that no man will receive the glory for what I've done. I, I want to be out of the way. I want God to get the glory. That's what I've been praying every day. God, do it so big that when men look at it, they have to shake their head and say, that had to be God. It had to be God. It had to be God. And I believe that he is doing it right now. Amen. I'm just asking you to start asking God for big things. I'm asking you to increase your faith. When you jump in that prayer slot on the 24-hour prayer chain, don't just walk in there and try to get by for an hour. Walk in there and say, God, you're bigger than any mountain that we'll face. You're bigger than what's going on around the world. You're bigger than what's going on with sickness. You're bigger than what's going on with COVID. And start releasing God. Bishop used to preach a message. I don't know if he even remembers it. He preached a message called Releasing God. To become what he already is. I think it's time that we release God, don't you? Amen. Let's go to the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. God's good. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verse number 9, thank you for standing in honor and respect to the Word of God. Glad to see all of you here tonight. We welcome all of our online audience. Very thankful that you would join us tonight. I would ask that in the next few days, you would please hold uh, Brother Todd Welcher and Sister Kelly King up before the Lord and their families. Uh, there's, I don't know how many of you in this church would remember Neil Welcher uh, it's been many, many years since he was here, but he passed over the, uh, the weekend, and uh, several will be driving in for his funeral, so over the next few days, if you would, please hold this family up before God. Uh, that service is in Kokomo Saturday at 1 o'clock, and uh, I would just ask that you would pray for them. Uh, Brother Welcher was a man at one time mightily used of God, uh, planted churches, and uh, Matter of fact, Brother Simon told me uh, it may have been when he was here last time that he went to the church in Colorado that uh, Brother Neil started, and he said there's, there's still a revival church there. And so we thank God for that and would ask that you would just pray for the Welcher family, that God would lift them and uh, be a strength to them in the days to come. Amen? amen. Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 9, if you're there, say Amen. The thing that hath been done, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And the summation of those two statements is there's no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, see, this is new. It hath been already of old time, which was before us. I feel tonight that the Lord wants to help somebody in this place. But I want to talk to you from this simple subject. Nothing new. Nothing new. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. 
the further I go, the more I find out that it's really true. There is absolutely nothing new. If you don't believe it, then why in the world are your kids and grandkids wearing what was in style when you were in high school? After a while, you can raid your papa's closet and the tie that he wore in the 70s is going to come back in sooner or later. Now, I hope to God bell bottoms never do. We certainly don't need anybody getting Saturday night fever. But it is amazing. The things that you see come back in and you're like, man, I never thought I'd see that again. And some, somebody is going to wear that and say, man, this is the new style. And you hate to be the bearer of bad news and break it to them like, sorry, Jack. That is not new. It's been around for a long time. Now, there's some fads that come and go, and it's very interesting uh, because this generation has replaced bell bottoms with skinny jeans. And all I'm saying is that some guys wearing skinny jeans don't need to be wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is probably going to be offensive to somebody. But, I mean, what can you do to not offend people? My daughters and I have a joke that when you're out in public, you know, this fad over the last couple years of all the yoga britches. And... Me and my daughters have a joke that, like, just say no. Like, some, some people just need to say no to yoga britches. Like, you ain't got no business wearing yoga britches. And uh, it's, it's funny because they're like, oh, no, 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 no. Th th these, are, these are tights or these are yoga pants. I'm like, no, no. In the 1980s, Brenda Digraph wore them, and those were for aerobics. They just changed them. And so, like, there's nothing new. You understand what I'm saying? Now, some folks got uh, sweating to the oldies with Richard Simmons, and he wore what all the women wore. So I don't know what to think about that. And <laughs> Seems like that's kind of coming around, too. I don't know. But let's all be honest. There really is nothing new under the sun. I'm constantly amazed and astounded at how people look for some kind of a new or easier way to serve Jesus. I've been at this for a lifetime. I've been serving God my whole life and I have no regrets about that. But if there's anything I have noticed about the church and doing church work and dealing with people all over the world, it's that people are people. And the sad thing is that people never learn from history. It's like one generation of young people will date outside the church and be lost, but it won't happen for the next generation because they're going to flirt to convert. And they'll be able to draw them into the church and they'll be able to change that and turn it all around. And we all know that it failed the last generation and it'll fail this generation. I was raised in the home of a preacher. My granddaddy was a preacher. My great-granddaddy was a preacher. And for the 28 years that Bishop Bingham pastored this church, I saw several times, and I could name names that some of you that have been around would recognize the names of some people that came along with amazing, charismatic personalities that had it seemingly all together. And they would say to Brother Bingham, if you'll just stop preaching this, we'll fill this church up. And uh, he would refuse to do that. And sure enough, those people would go their own way and then... After a little while, we found out it really had nothing to do with just standards of separation. It was a heart problem. Pretty good teaching right there now. We found out the issue wasn't really the issue. 
And I've seen men that have given in to that spirit and said, okay, I'll make you a deal. I'll do that and we'll change. But listen, here's what I want you to know is that because of the longevity of ministry in my family, I've been blessed to stay connected to a lot of the same people through the years, some that used to walk this way and now they don't walk that way anymore. And it's amazing that when they walked away from what they knew and what they loved, they said, God is going to exponentially grow our church and we're going to leave behind this small-minded thinking and we're going to blow the doors off and we're going to have more people get the Holy Ghost than you've ever had and I could take you tonight to church after church after church that not only did they not grow exponentially, but they don't even exist today. There is no new thing under the sun. I'm going to be very straightforward with you at the beginning and perhaps may even end up right here where I'm at again before we finish. But if you don't get anything I say other than this tonight, I want this to be very, very clear to you. Somebody shout, it's 2021. It's late in the game. We can say this and it not just be Empty words. We're closer to the coming of the Lord than we've ever been. In 2021, I want everybody to hear me tonight. God is not giving new revelation. God is not going to send a 21st century prophet in 2021 that's going to give us some new breaking news of how we've been missing it all these years to get into the kingdom of God. Listen to pastor tonight and let me share what I believe is the heart of God with this church. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be because you were intentional about being saved. Nobody is going to slip through heaven's gates accidentally. You will not accidentally be apostolic. If you're going to be saved, it's going to be because you kept your face in a prayer room and you hid the word in your heart and you fell in love with truth and you refused to vacillate on that. funny because now technology has changed a lot of things but it's really not new we used to text message when I was a kid in Sunday school but it was a lot more risk we did we'd tear off a little piece of paper out off the Sunday school chart thing we'd write our note on it and then Sister Sandy, I'd hand it to Michael, and Michael would hand it to Brian, and Brian hand it to somebody else, and we'd hand it to everyone to talk to. And then the text message in return took a moment. Because they'd sit down there, and they'd tear off a piece and look at you and kind of wink at you, and then they'd write their note, and they'd hand this to Brian, hand this to Michael, hand it, and they'd hand it all, all the way back down. And I'm just telling you, I know there's not very many people here that remember soft-spoken Jim Pettigrew. But he wasn't always soft-spoken. He wasn't always truly most thankful. That was his opening testimony line. Truly most thankful. He was not truly most thankful if you got caught passing notes. And I'm just going to tell you right now. You did not want to get caught passing notes in John Duggleby's class. Because Mr. Dougalby, as they used to call him at Madison Heights, we called him Brother John. He went into teacher mode. And if you got caught, like he was trying to figure out how to give you an apostolic demerit. I used to wonder how in the world she lived with herself when we were kids, Elvis, but... I thought Margot Jones was something else. And then I got older and I thought, Lord, I am so sorry. <laughs> it's one thing if you have to teach Luke St. Clair. It's another thing if you have to teach Elvis Jones. 
It's another thing if you have to teach Charles Murray Wayne Jones, Dan Mundy. Put all those in one class. Oh, my Lord. I'm surprised she's saved. I really am. She is. As far as I know, she is. I don't know how. But there was something about text messages then if you got caught by Margot Jones. You had to write down. You like writing so much, you get to write all day. And you would get a piece of paper and 500 times you would write, I will not pass notes in class. I'm like, hello, you're wasting time right now. And I would go home and write and write and write and write. And then I would say, Jody, do you think you could write like me? And she'd say, for 10 bucks I can. <laughs> Jody was my bailout plan. Jody could clean my room and take care of all my business for me, but there was always a price. And I realized then, I didn't realize then, but I realize now the Lord was preparing me for three daughters. But technology has changed a lot of things. Texting. Facebook, Twitter. It's like people get their daily inspiration from 140 characters. It's unbelievable how we pursue after things right now. And this is the part that you really, really got to get down in your heart. If, you, if it's written on Twitter or Facebook, it's, it's true. Like 100%. It is absolutely true. Positively true. But it's funny how, and I'm going to throw off on preachers for a minute because I are one. But it's funny because, uh, please don't, don't take this wrong. I don't, I don't want to be like I'm slamming people. But it's like, come Saturday or whatever, people start looking for preachable tweets. Surely somebody's going to say something that's going to inspire somebody. It used to be sweet hour of prayer. Now it's sweet hour of scrolling. Come on, somebody. It's tight, but it's right. We used to have sweet hour of prayer. And somewhere along the line, I think it just went to just a little talk with Jesus. We used to be shut in with God in a secret place. There in the spirit we would behold his face and gain new power to run the race. How I love to be shut in with God. And now it's like the spirit of Mickey D's and Burger King and all the above. Taco Bell have swept through the church and we're no longer preparing sweet hour of prayer. It's just like a drop here and there. Lord, thank you today. Thank you today. Touch me today. Pray for my food. And then we expect. To come in and have the same power and authority that they used to have when they'd shut in and pray all night long. and Then you hear people complain, say, man, I sure miss what we used to have in the old church. And pastor saying, so do I. Because sweet hours of prayer have seemingly diminished and it's like the modern church age has traded in the old rugged cross. For a delicate crisscross beam that's non-offensive to anybody. It's like we don't want to preach about the blood. We just want to preach about the resurrection. And you can't have the resurrection if you don't have the blood. And I want to tell you that this is not some new tactic that the enemy just came up with. I want you to understand that from the very beginning of the New Testament church, within 30 years of the church beginning, the apostles had to approach it and say, listen, if the resurrection is not true, then we are preaching in vain. The enemy has tried to cancel. We look at this age right now of cancel culture. We're like, oh, these kids, what's wrong with this generation? No, no, no. Cancel culture has been here since the very beginning of time. Let's cancel culture. Let's cancel everything. The problem that we face today is that we're in a tough position. 
looking at people who are trying to cancel the power of the resurrection because the church has been quiet about the crucifixion. I'll walk with you right here for just a minute. We're screaming and yelling about homosexual marriage. Yet we're clearly redefining conventional marriage. We're worried about the Supreme Court redefining it. Yet new apostolic doctrines say if you don't love the, the, love the one that you're with, then go love you somebody else and just do whatever you want to do. And there'll be some pastor somewhere that'll put you in the pulpit and let you preach or sing in the choir or teach a Sunday school. And it's like there's nothing new under the sun. told you Sunday, I was talking, studying something I'd never thought of before. It's always kind of assumed that the Apostle Paul was a single man and he chose to do that. But the truth is, he became a eunuch for the gospel's sake. If he truly was a member of the Sanhedrin, which history records that he was, and not just anybody got to sit at the feet of Gamaliel and study. I want you to understand that. Especially not a man that was a, a dual citizen. Paul didn't just happen to get to sit at the feet of Gamaliel. He had some corn in his crib before his conversion. And if you understand the extra biblical writings about Paul, then you'll understand that 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, didn't just happen because he wanted to dabble around in doctrines that he didn't know anything about. We believe that the Apostle Paul was married to a woman that did not want to buy into Christianity. And so he lived the rest of his life preaching and teaching Jesus. How many times? Three times. Did he ask the Lord to take the thorn out of his flesh? We don't know what it was, but I've got some feelings about it. There will come a time in your life that you're going to have to excommunicate yourself from the flesh and say, my flesh cannot win. My flesh does not have authority over me. If I'm going to live for God, I've got to be willing to tell my flesh no and tell God yes. It's like this society is, we've left the days of crock pots. I remember when TV dinners were a big thing. You understand? Me and Papa Bingham could throw down on some Salisbury steak from Aldi. And he thought that was like, I mean, might as well have been Ruth's Chris to him. He liked it. And, uh. You know, my mom used to cook. My wife, matter of fact, my wife did today. She got up this morning before we came to the church. She put a roast in the crock pot. And boy, it was so good tonight when we got home. I told her, I said, I think I got traces of it on my clothes. <laughs> smell good. So if you smell onions tonight, it's not my fault. <laughs> but we've gone from crock pot to instant pot. Anything wrong with instant pot? No, nope. not at all. So there's really nothing new under the sun. I hate to tell people that invented the Instant Pot. But my mom used to cook with an Instant Pot that didn't have a digital readout on the front of it. It's called a pressure cooker. Ooh, this new technology. I'm te this technology is amazing. My moms would go. <laughs> Anybody in here, your mom ever cooked with one of them? You had one? That sounded kind of like a 56K modem dialing up, didn't it? My mom can testify to you tonight, don't ever cook beans in a pressure cooker. Is that true? <laughs> so my question for you tonight is if there really is nothing new under the sun, then why do we continue to walk away from old paths and old convictions? Why do we continue to listen to the spirit of the age who would say, it's a new day, it's a new time. All of that is not really necessary anymore. It breaks my heart when I see people that I grew up preaching with and we would preach conferences and camp meetings with. I have one man in particular that I think of often when I'm preaching along these lines that 
He got to a place in his ministry where I could tell he was shifting to a little different direction. He was preaching for a mutual friend. And I knew we were in trouble, that he was in trouble. When he made the statement to our mutual friend the weekend that he was preaching there, he was getting ready to start a church. And he said, I cannot wait until my church is large enough that I don't have to travel all the time to financially support it and raise support for the church. He said, I'm sick and tired of preaching things that I don't believe just to get by. And at that time, it just seemed like it was about superficial things, external things, things that, you know, maybe convictional things, whatever, what direction. But this night, tonight, right now, you could go to that man's website of that church that he was talking about, and he has full-blown Trinitarian doctrine on his website. There's nothing new under the sun. The same thing's going to happen to every single person that walks away from old paths. There's never been a backslider that's left the kingdom of God, whether they come back or not, that at some point they did not have an inward conversation with themselves to say, man, it really was better in daddy's house. There will be some prodigals who will die in the pig pen because when they come to themselves, they refuse to turn and go back toward the Father's house. But as long as there's breath in this body, I'm crying out to every prodigal that will hear the echo of this message. Come back while you can. There's nothing new under the sun. And any gospel that is promoted that's cheaper than this gospel, it's not a gospel that you want. seems to be that the message of the age is that that was for then. And my question to you tonight is if, if that was for then, then what's for now? Have you ever imagined, now believe it or not, I preached this many years ago in this church, Do you know that Luke 15 and the story of the prodigal was not a new story that Jesus was telling? It is told in Jewish history that the story of the prodigal son was as old as Abraham. But when the story was told, there was about two or three different endings that different rabbis and different teachers would use through the years in their yoke. What they called their yoke or the teaching to their disciples that they would hand down and One of the endings of that story was that when the prodigal finally came home, he knocked on the door. The older brother answered the door and said, Father's died. You're not welcomed here. To teach him a lesson, you know. There was another storyline, the way that it would end. It said that when he knocked on the door, a man he didn't recognize answered the door. And he said, your family doesn't live here anymore. And he was cut out. So every person that was sitting there listening to the story of the prodigal in Luke 15, as Jesus told actually three parables Three stories about the coin, the sheep, and the boy. Every young man over the age of 13 years old was sitting there kind of mumbling the story because he knew where Jesus was going. Here he is, another rabbi teaching another lesson. But Jesus actually astounded them. When he got to the place that the boy started running home, he said he got to the place where he's supposed to knock on the door and learn his lesson. But he said while he was yet a far way off. That his father turned and ran to him from the porch because in the Middle East, it was a shame for a man to run like that, to gird up the loins of of his garment and to run. And the scripture said that his father ran toward him. The Lord was saying that the spirit of the father is willing to shame himself in order to reconcile a son that has left and is willing to come back home. I feel like telling you right now, It does not matter what other people have said about your story. There's nothing new under the sun. The mercy of God is as powerful today as it has ever been. And if you're in a place right now where you're confused and you're trying to figure out whether or not it's worth it, let me settle the issue for you tonight. It is absolutely worth it to live for God. Come on home. My. 
Seems that we negate the purpose of the church. If every new, fresh, and cutting-edge thing we do is to make church more convenient and God more common. I hope that resounds with somebody tonight. I'm troubled. And again, I, I can't speak for anybody else. I'm just going to talk to FPC tonight. But I'm troubled when I look at the church age. And I see how many people are absolutely wrapped up in convenience. Had people say to me, now why don't you guys try to change your weekend structure a little bit? You'll have bigger crowds. Well, why, why would we do that? Man, because people work all week. Mike, do you realize that the 120 people in the upper room worked? Do you realize that all these books we read in the New Testament that are Pauline epistles? That while he was in prison, he was writing. And when he got out of prison, he was preaching and making tents. Like everybody's always worked. Crosses have never been convenient. My word. I can't believe nobody ran on that. We're in trouble if we continually try to make our walk with God more and more and more and more convenient. At some point, you're going to eventually just lay your cross down completely. Quit being led by the Holy Ghost and start leading God where you think He ought to go. Oh, my, my. I was in, in prayer some time ago, and this is just me. It's like just a, a view into my personal prayer time. But I've prayed all my life, all my life. And, and this, uh, again, this is not to, to sound like contradictory or whatever for the sake of contradiction. But, you know, we would sing songs uh, in, in the garden, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, tells me I'm his own. And I used to pray that all the time, all the time. I'd say, Lord, walk with me today. Walk with me. Lord, walk with me. And I was just praying one day, and I felt a check in my spirit. I'm not saying it was wrong. I just felt a check in my spirit. And he said, am I walking with you, or are you walking with me? Because oftentimes, while we're praying, we're saying, lead me, Lord, lead me. Lead me, Lord, lead me. Lead me where you want me to go, Lord. Lead me. But I want to go right over here for just a little bit, so let your presence come over here. Think about this. How often our relationship with God, and don't think I'm being ugly, but how many times have we asked God to bless what we're doing without ever stopping to ask God, is this what you would bless? I think the way to approach this is to quit asking God to bless everything that we're doing and to find ourselves in alignment with what he's already blessing and to get in alignment with the blessings of God. Constantly trying to reinvent the wheel. It's amazing. You think about, you think about how, how many times, how many folks here have been in or around the church for over 20, 20 25 years? Well, that's a, that's a lot of folks right there, isn't it? I want you to think about this. How much has church really, really changed as far as structure and order? In 25 years. Let's be honest. You come in. You open up a prayer. Sing three songs. Take up an offering. Preacher preaches. Have altar call. You go home, right? Everybody here was doing that 25 years ago. Isn't it amazing? How so many people try to reinvent the wheel. And it's funny. What it's created is a situation in people. It's so funny. Because I was raised by a madman that wanted to be in church every night. And that's never changed. We were on the road for five years. And we didn't do this weak, sissified Sunday, Wednesday revival. 
<laughs> We'd pull out sometimes Sunday night after church. Dad had preached Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And he'd go out and take a shower and put on his yellow jogging pants. He did. He had yellow jogging pants and some convert, white Converse tennis shoes. And he'd put on them tennis shoes. And we'd hook up the trailer. He'd get it all unhooked, hooked it up to the truck. And me and Jody would fall asleep in the truck and we'd wake up in another campground or another church parking lot Monday morning. And, and Monday night, he'd start preaching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. For five years, we averaged was 350 services. So 50 out of 52 weeks and almost every Sunday would be two. So took two weeks off. Now we did have, in all fairness here, he didn't preach every year at conference, at, at youth conference and general conference. So we did. But we did go to church eight times at those conferences. Like evangelist kids are wanting a vacation. We're like, you're on vacation, son. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's like, we're going to reinvent this. And so people are like, how, how you guys do revival? You know, you call an evangelist and say, come, come have revival. With, come preach revival for us. And they're like, brother, you just do Wednesdays or Sundays? Like, you hadn't heard about us, huh? <laughs> I've had some evangelists reach out to me. I used to serve on that committee for several, several years. Evangelists would reach out to me almost in tears, and they'd say, Brother St. Clair, people aren't having revivals like we used to. They're wanting to come together and just have church. And when pastors tell them the reason why, they say, my people work, and a lot of them commute. Yet I've preached services. Where people have walked for two and three days just to get there. And in between services, they would sleep on the floor so they could be in the house of God. Oh, yeah, Pastor, that's for other places. Listen to what I'm telling you. We're going to stand before God with those very same people who were willing to walk the miles with no shoes or some sandals or shoes that were falling apart. And the Lord's going to look at us and say, oh, you were too tired, I guess. I don't suppose this will end up on the sermon of the year list. The way that we have church is certainly not, this is not thrown off, but it's not like some kind of a New Testament formula. Nowhere in the scripture do you find three songs offering preach. It's not in there. It's part of our Western culture. It's just the way that we've done it. And so... I'm just saying it's not anti-biblical, it's just the way we've had church. And my point is that if we get to the place where we're trying to still have church the same way, but we're looking at our clock all the time. Have you all ever noticed how, how it is? You know, our targets on Sunday mornings, are, we, we try to get about 12 o'clock. It's a pretty rare thing around here because Big Mouth don't know how to shut up on Sunday morning. I'm talking about me. Don't, don't be looking at my wife. I'm, talk, I'm talking about me. She preaches at home. I preach here. God bless her heart. And I'm telling y'all, we'll be in a mighty move of God in about 12.05. People start shifting. Like I stood at 11.55, but I ain't about to stand no more at 12.05. That sucker's going to have to quit preaching. <laughs> Telling you the truth. I was in a meeting some time ago talking with Bishop Cavanis and some others about stories of the old-time revivals in Indianapolis with Bishop Haywood. Well, the Cavanis has... More stuff than you could imagine from G.T. Haywood. The stories in there we're talking about that in Indianapolis now, people were getting the Holy Ghost. So many people getting the Holy Ghost 
that the bishop started having afternoon Bible study at the church, like we do Wednesday night this once a week. He started doing it every day. And they'd pack the church out. And they said there were people standing outside Christ's temple. I'm not lying. They said people were bringing their food. They were bringing brown lunch sacks to church. Because if they got up to go get some lunch and left their seat, when they came back, their seat was taken. And people were leaving work on their lunch break to come to the church and pray for an hour and listen to the bishop teach. And they said that people were receiving the Holy Ghost on weekends when it was packed. They said, it'd be wall to wall. I'm just telling you, it wouldn't have worked in 2020. (laughs) Oh. They said if people be packed in there so tight that they're like bumping up against each other. And they said, seriously, if you stood there and tarried for the Holy Ghost too long, Bishop knew your heart wasn't right if you weren't getting the Holy Ghost and they'd start handing you down the line and whoever was behind you would step up. They'd start pushing. If you're going to stand there like you go back there somewhere else and repent until you're ready for the Holy Ghost and you can come back in the sanctuary. So y'all ain't ready for Bishop Haywood to come pastor you. (laughs) Some time ago, my dear friend was from out of town was it? was in town and he stopped by Christ's temple and there was an old elder in the church there. I'm, I, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. There was an old elder in the church that had been there since Bishop Haywood's time. And he let, he let this preacher friend of mine in and he walked in. He said, listen, man, he said, I've been around Indiana all my life, but I've never got to stop by Christ's temple. He said, I've always wanted to see. We, we've always honored this church and thank God for Bishop, blah, blah, blah. I went through the whole deal. He said, oh, yes, sir, please come on in. He said, I'll be happy to show you around. So he walked him in there, and he said, now, things are different in here than they used to be. He said, the old platform was over here, so where are you walking in now? And he laid him out the building. He said, it was different. And he said, oh, my, what powerful services you must have had and all that. And he said, the old man just stood there, got real quiet. His eyes filled up. He said, it ain't like it was when Bishop was here. He said, what do you mean, brother? He said, now. We got more sin on the platform than Bishop would have let in the pews. We can still throw down and have church. As long as we beat our tambourines and we just have good church and we dance and shout. And so, hey, I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's nothing new. And superficial church ain't going to save nobody. It never has saved anybody, and it never will save anybody. And the apostolic church cannot afford to get superficial. That's why I believe in a prayer room. I'm telling y'all the honest to God's truth. If we can't have a prayer room, I'd rather lock the doors of this church and close it up. Well, everybody's trying to figure out a new way to have church. Should we shorten it up? Should we make it just an hour? Because an hour and a half may be too much for somebody. It may be too much for somebody that's got to drive a long way. I'm telling you folks that church has never been the problem. And the way we have church has never been the problem. The problem is that we've got to be willing to find people who are willing to pay the price and say, Lord, whatever it costs us, we're going to lay it down to have revival. You precious people have left work tired. You precious people have come to work from work in your work clothes. You have come to church exhausted. You have driven mile after a mile to get here. I don't believe the church is the problem. I believe there's some hungry people at FPC that are saying, Lord, whatever we gotta do, if I gotta go straight from work, if I gotta go in my dirty jeans, whatever I gotta do, I gotta be in the house of the Lord. Believe it or not, there is a shift happening. People used to sit in church and dream about how much money they'd make at work. But God's doing something at FPC that's got people sitting at work thinking about what God's going to do in church. 
God's been stirring the hearts of people. There are people right now during the week, all week you're at work and you say, I can't wait to get back to the house of God. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And I feel like telling y'all tonight, there's not one thing the devil can do with a church like that. There's not one thing the devil can do with people that want to be in the house of God. I'm not saying, speaking of daughters, you've never had anything like preaching. Wipe your mouth with a hanky and evidence of your children. Be on your hanky. Thank God for their glory. I'm not saying there's not things in this church that we can't get better at. We're always trying and we fall short. I I told the Lord today, I said, Lord, I'm not even capable of pastoring these people. I told the Lord today, I said, in my flesh, I I said, God, I can't do this. What you're doing right now is so much bigger than me. If I don't have your wisdom, I don't even want to try. I said, God, if I don't have your direction, I don't even want to try. Understand me, there are some things that we could do better at. I understand that. There's some other positions. Eventually, we need to hire some people and get some things. I I completely understand that. But if you're expecting me to be a better preacher, you're in trouble. I done done racked up a few. I'm done setting my ways. After 26 years of preaching, it ain't getting no better. I'm sorry. It's not going to get any better. So just lock it in tonight. It ain't going to be better preaching that gives us a sovereign move of God. But I came up around men that couldn't hardly read the Bible, much less a commentary. My granddaddy used to tell me stories about little old evangelists that passed down through uh, West Tennessee. He said they'd just show up in town. They didn't have cell phones and all that. Obviously, he said they'd just show up in Dyersburg, Daddy's church, been riding the bus for three days. The Lord just said, go to Dyersburg. Go preach for Brother Bingham. He said they'd show up to preach revival and couldn't even read their text. They'd have to get somebody sitting over there to read the Bible for them. And I know y'all aren't going to believe me. But people got delivered and got the Holy Ghost and got baptized in Jesus' name. And that preacher didn't even have a degree behind his name. I mean, you can't even have revival without a DD anymore. You gotta have a doctorate of divinity to have revival. And so now what we got is a lot of people that can quote things to you out of all kinds of books. But you wanna know what I believe it is? We're online. Paul said, be warned about a form of godliness. I don't care if you've got more degrees than a thermometer. If you're not having a move of God, I don't want anything to do with it. I believe in putting our best foot forward. But I also believe that we got to be very, very careful because the people that are making decisions that are crashing the world around us are some of the smartest people by book knowledge in the world. Some of them got master's degrees and then they got dodo degrees. People got degrees in dodo that you just can't even imagine. I can't believe this week talking about letting boys play sports with girls. And I'm like, I wish I could tell you that it's just because they want to play sports. I think they really just want to be in the locker room. Some time ago they started that junk. Talking about what are you going to do if they start telling the church you got to have different kinds of people in the bathrooms. I said, I don't have a problem standing at the bathroom door with my gun and saying when my daughter's finished you're welcome to go in 
I mean, not that I have any guns, because like I said last week, I lost them all in a boating accident. I received a phone call from an out-of-state police officer, Courtney. And he said, Pastor, he said, if you ever need help, he may be watching, I don't know. Oh, he is. I am so sorry, my brother. He said, if you ever need help with my lights and sirens, I can get there pretty quick. And he said, all my guns didn't go down in a boat. I'm just telling y'all, we're not going to be able to have better church. I, I just don't, I don't think you can. I, mean, I don't care how much better our music gets and how much bigger our choir gets. and I, I mean, I can polish it up, Bishop. I, I don't know how much better we can have church. Because even that remains to be seen. Some folks don't think it's church if the song's not at least 60 years old. And some folks don't think it's church if it doesn't have Hillsong dripping off of it. Like Crocky, mate. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> For those of you that are wondering, that's a church in Australia. I'm like, that's not church. This is church. You know what I'm going to tell you tonight? I want us to have the best. That's right. Amen. I hope God helps us and our sound system's always good. Sure. I, hope our, our, I hope our platform lighting and, you know, we need new projectors, all that's coming, all, all this stuff. I hope it's always good. I hope it's always wonderful. I hope when people come in, they feel welcome. It's cutting edge. I hope our carpet don't always have snags in it. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you precious people something tonight. If all these projectors quit working and our keyboard falls apart and every head on the drums break and every string on the bass guitar breaks, we need to have enough power in here that a drug addict can leave here set free. There's nothing new under the sun. We need power that they had in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And we need power that they had with sawdust floors. We need power that they had with two by four pews. And we're not going to get it by having better church. We're going to get it by doing what they used to do and paying the price. No, this seems to be what some people believe is my modus operandi. I don't mean it to be bad, but I guess it's just the way it comes across. And I found out in 2020, there's a lot of people that were waiting on the government to give them permission to have church. If you're waiting on the government to tell you to have revival... I mean, because certainly I do understand that, that Nero was really good. I mean, he was good to the Jews. Nero told the first generation of apostolics, we want to accommodate you. You go do whatever you need to do to have good church. No, I, I, maybe I got that wrong. I think that's who was cutting up, chopping up, and using his night lamps to light the streets of Rome when he burned them up and let wild beasts tear their flesh apart for no other crime than following after one named Christus, he said. I want to tell you folks something that will break your heart. It does mine. It would surprise you. And it's, it's men that I know personally. I, I don't know them personally. But I know personally where they come from. That are some of the biggest names in TV preachers. That undoubtedly 100% without question. They know truth. They refuse to preach it. 
I know of one that came up in the apostolic ranks connected to people that I know and loved and respected. One this apostolic preacher. But when it came to writing his books and getting a book deal with a company that was Trinitarian, he had to sign a, uh, an affirmation that he, would, that he believed in the Trinity to get the book deal. He signed it. And then was told in a group, now he's a multi, 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 multi-millionaire, got an enterprise business, but sat at a table with a bunch of denominal preachers. And when they asked him, because they kind of knew where he came from, about his stance, he said, you know, it's really just, it's, it's just semantics. Well, folks, there's nothing new. Because I want to tell you something that may shock your britches off. There's some early church historians that believe it was early apostolic fathers that started Catholicism. Knew the truth and got disgruntled. Well, everybody doing okay? I'm about done. We don't need new revelation. We don't need direction. We don't need a fresh word. Did anybody see when the prophet of God was calling fire down out of the sky where the Lord said, I got a new plan for you, son? He went back to what he knew and he said, God always responds to sacrifice. He said, so let's get what we need the most. We've been in a drought for three years. He said, boys, go get water and bring it to the sacrifice and put it on here. You just let those false prophets do their dance and do their cut and do their jig, do whatever they're going to do. But God will still respond. There's nothing new under the sun. God responds to a culture of sacrifice of people that are willing. We're not waiting on a fresh word. We're willing to lay our lives down and do whatever we got to do to have. Woo! In closing, Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, there's no new thing, so let me help you. Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, this brilliant, wise man, he said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You want to know what God expects of us in the 21st century? It's nothing new. He expects for us to fear God and to keep his commandments and to serve the Lord with all of our heart. I feel like telling you tonight, there's not going to be a shortcut to revival. There's not going to be a shortcut to harvest. There's not going to be a shortcut to breakthrough. We're going to have to fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with truth and fall in love with sacrifice and give God the very best that we can give him. Nothing new, nothing new, nothing new. As I close tonight, I must share with you that according to the book of Acts, it's a scripture that you and I dance and shout about often. But Acts, the first chapter and the eighth verse that you and I have danced and shouted to so many times, you shall receive power. And oh, my Lord, I've seen people literally do backflips in services like that. People just dance and shout, oh, we've got power. Do you know what the root of power is? Oh, yeah, it's dunamis. You know what dunamis is? It's the root of dynamite. That's where it comes from. We've got dynamite power. That's awesome. It's all preaching. It's all good. But Brother Hensel, what shakes me to the core is he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. In your English Bible, it says, and you shall be witnesses unto me. In the Greek Bible, he said, you shall be martis. The Greek word is martis. M-A-R. T-U-S, martis. It's where we get the word martyr. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you to be martyrs for me. And you're going to start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. 
Tell your neighbor tonight, you're living in the uttermost. I thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. But we can't just preach this and say, oh, I got the Holy Ghost to be a witness of Jesus. He said, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, and it's enough power to carry you through. If you become a martyr, and you got to lay your life down for it, you've got the power that you need to stand up. I'm telling you, there's nothing new. We're going to have to go through some things to have revival, but it's worth it. 